Hi, welcome back. This is episode two of Imagination Revolution UBI, and I'm Corey Doty. I'm your host. This episode uh, features an interview with Roniel, uh, a lovely, dear old friend, uh, and we talk about a bunch of things, including her lifelong dream of getting out of the rat, rat race, the death and rebirth psychedelic process that is involved of uh, extricating oneself from exploitative economies and all of the layers of that, the interpersonal jealousy, the internalized bosses. Uh, we also talk about things like means testing and the mental labor uh, that is required when we have to prove ourselves worthy of help. Uh, we talk about how our bodies and the earth body demonstrate our limitations. Uh, we talk about leaning into pleasure and finding balance and learning personal limits uh, and building a practice of gratitude and micro rest. It's a really great conversation. Uh, thank you for tuning in and joining us. Uh, stick around for an excellent conversation with Roniel uh, and myself while we uh, imagine the impossible. My name is Roniel. I'm a musician and an artist and a baby emerging from my caterpillar state therapist. <laughs> Amazing. <laughs> uh, so have you been uh, sort of in your chrysalis over the course of this pandemic? Um, I think so. It was a very... It was a very, like, well-timed pandemic for me personally. Um <laughs> I am aware it was not that way for a lot of other people, but yeah, I was, I was just starting somatic therapy school like three weeks before, um, the shit really went down with COVID. Um, so yeah, all through the whole thing, I've been in school and learning all these strategies for, for dealing with stress and trauma and discomfort and, yeah, so that's really come in handy for for all this. <laughs> yeah. All the rap rapid changes and curveballs and everything that's been a part of everyone's life. Totally. Mm -hmm. So a part of what I am hoping to do in the course of interviews of this show uh, is to sort of respond to the really pessimistic assumption that if people had a basic income uh, that they would not do anything um, and I think that there's this concern about people not doing things um, which I feel like you have some good responses in terms of like why not doing things is important first of all um, yeah <laughs> But then also uh, that piece of, like, what people can do when they're allowed to not do. Um, and to sort of present the alternative of, like, what are the, th what are the gifts that people in our society have um, that we're not actually getting to, uh, to nurture or to, like, experience these things that, like, you know, people have brilliant ideas and, like, you know, incredible offerings to society that they just don't actually get to do because they're wrapped up in wage slavery. Um, yeah. And so I, you know, I want to ask people, you know, lots of different sort of uh, relationships to it of like, you know, when I didn't have to hustle, this is what I did. Um, uh -huh. As well as like in an imaginary future, where I don't have to hustle in the same way, this is what I would like to do. Like, this is the future that I imagine is waiting for me on the other side of that. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about, like, your experience with accessing 
security and um, being able to not do and like what you have learned in that process? For sure. Yeah. Um, I have a, I have a hard time with the um, overemphasis on productivity that I really didn't feel comfortable with at a very young age. Like I remember, you know, being a kid and being shuffled from class to class and in school five days a week and on the bus to get here and there. And my dream for my life, like for adulthood was to not do that anymore. Hmm. Um, And to actually be able to exist at my own pace which is like not that typical of a dream like it's like I wasn't like I want to be an astronaut I want to be this or that I was just I want to get off this like wild productivity conveyor belt and just like enjoy being in my body and being in the world um so I think I've I've always kind of had an an orientation to rest and stillness um, as like the foundation of of what I want out of life and because of the way things are structured I didn't really get to experience that until like after my very first uh, spectacular burnout from a nonprofit job and yeah I ended up on like medical EI and then on a regular EI so I had about a year of I guess like a secure thing and that was when I was in my early 30s and that was my first experience of it and I was like damn I need more of this (laughs) (laughs) and so from there I just kept strategizing like how can I keep this pace and work from from this place of like making my own schedule and having enough rest uh, and spending my days in ways that are meaningful to me. Uh, I just kind of brainstormed like during that year as well as recovered because I was really sick. And then, um, yeah, from there I've just kind of gone through various permutations of that a lot of um the following years of my career were uh significantly funded through art grants I would like make up art projects that felt like what I wanted to do and then I would just secure the funding and then spend a year two years three years doing my projects um and I did that up until I decided a career change was like in the cards for me and I decided to get my counseling registration I was like okay I'm gonna do this I'm gonna switch a little bit like out of the arts into counseling and then COVID happened just as I started school right so I had had a plan of like okay this is how I'm gonna manage financially while I'm in school and then the nectar of the gods, Serb, <laughs> came came down the pipe, and I was like, "You have got to be joking!" And I like, yeah, I got to to just because of like type of part time employment I was in, it wasn't as um, it wasn't really happening. So I qualified for Serb, and I served it, and that was nice. <laughs> Um, yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of rambling, but now as I'm like getting my therapy career set up, it's also one of those like work at your own pace kind of jobs. Like it's a self-employment thing and you make your own schedule and you put in the hours you put in to get the money you get. And that's kind of the deal. So it's a little bit more manageable for me than other other uh, work for other people kind of jobs that I've had in the past. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
So, I mean, in some ways, the the question of like, what does that imaginary future look like? You have you've had a chance to run some trials, uh, and you yeah. know. So that being said, you know, like you you're starting this new career path, and I feel like one of the things that I feel like I know about you is that like what you choose to invest your time in is like not necessarily uh, as directly tied to like what's gonna pay my bills um, as is for a lot of people Um, and so you know obviously I understand this about you to know that like you're pursuing this career because it's something that you feel called to do Um, Uh and is like so I think that's one of the other things that for folks who haven't had a chance to to try it out or to like have that security to actually just be able to ask the question of like, would I do this job if it wasn't about the money at all? Um, like, what would I choose yeah. to do with my time if it wasn't actually, if if how much I was being paid didn't need to be as much of a part of that consideration. Um, so do you want to talk a little bit about like what that transition has looked like for you in your life in terms of like when you're like going through the process of like reclaiming your time and being like, yeah, this like my time is mine. And so I'm going to invest it how I choose. Um, you know, you said that you've kind of had a resistance to, uh, some of the the way that the system operates for a long time but i also i knew you before that burnout right so um yeah do you want to talk a little bit about what that transition has been like in terms of like coming to own your time yeah it's like it's i I don't know like how much i've like thought about it so I'm just trying to like recall um a lot of it was like almost like uh it was kind of like having to die and be reborn again like it wasn't like this blissed out like everything's great now like there was a lot of um feeling pretty lost and like messed up and not really knowing uh, what to do and if things were going to be okay. Yeah. So there was a bit of a, yeah, like death and rebirth feeling to, to figuring out like, yeah, just how it was going to be. And then like, you know, maybe then realizing it wasn't working and having to try something else and working through how that feels. Um, yeah. Does it, does that answer your question a bit? It does. And it also leads me to another question, which I feel like, you know, we didn't, we didn't get into this before and you do have new like career things. I don't know. I am totally fine to just stop this line of questioning and edit it out. Um, but that being said, um, when I hear about transition processes that involve like, a facing death and overcoming of death like to me that has a lot of resonance with the psychedelic experience um and if you would be willing to talk about what psychedelics uh role has been in that process for you yeah for sure um yeah like i don't go that route that often but i do um, yeah, I do have a relationship with, um, mushrooms specifically that is quite nourishing and I think has helped along the way, like has helped with the transition, um, not even showing me insight, but just making things change like in my body things Mm. I don't even know have changed it just changes and it's kind of like it's done it's changed it's over and then you can move forward 
um, yeah, that's been a bit of my of my experience with the with that type of medicine. I would say it's it's very supportive, but it's also like there's an element of mystery to it. Like you don't even know the whole story. You don't know exactly how you've been helped. You just can feel that you've been helped. Right. Yeah, and I mean, I I think that one of one of the things that I have spoken to some other guests about in in this conversation is like how what a part of what I'm asking in the like what could a society with a universal basic income look like? What would it involves a dance with a similar mystery? Um, uh-huh. where there are some aspects of how how people would be able to relate to themselves, their bodies, their family, their creative process, their spiritual well-being, um, like, is in a lot of cases, like, something that is actually hard to imagine because of, like, how deeply entrenched individuals but also, like, systems are in our current way of doing things and so I think that there is an element of that sort of like for us to even engage and entertain this conversation we have to uh you know to take sort of like an Alice in Wonderland perspective like we have to be willing to do at least a couple of impossible things before breakfast right like yeah if (laughs) if we keep ourselves locked into what feels attainable um we're not getting there yeah. Um, so yeah, do you want to talk a little bit about uh, what that has looked like for you in the the act of like calling in and inviting the impossible or the seemingly impossible into your life? Um, you know, you talked about funding your life on art grants and like you know, sort of like the the process of being like, oh well, what's gonna happen now? I don't know. Um, <laughs> Like, yeah, yeah what, what does that look like for you in terms of, like, getting right with that type of surrender? Yeah, I think there's definitely, like, a bit of deconditioning work that had to be done, like, especially just having been in a, in a coercive or coerced relationship for so long with work. Mm-hmm. And just having been on the receiving end of unequal power dynamics, I noticed that when I started to work for myself, I had still internalized that. Totally. So it's not like I was free from it just because I didn't have a boss. Like, I would make up an imaginary boss of, like, some... Um, person that's spying on me and like trying to make sure I'm using my grant right or they're gonna ask for it back or you know like making up like these villains that weren't real like no one's gonna ask for it back you're doing what you said you were gonna do with it (laughs) um so having to work through that stuff as well as like that being internalized by my peers and like having to be on the receiving end of judgment about not doing enough Mm. or not deserving of the things I got or was you know able to connect with or whatever so that was a bit of a battle right yeah I Um, I feel like I think I'm still working through like I think those layers are really deep totally I think that, that that aspect of the interpersonal dynamics around certain people accessing security is one of the things that uh, really sort of just reminds me that introducing income strategies or security strategies, like, I feel like it really does need to be universal and not means-tested. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, like, I'm on disability, so... And I also live in subsidized housing. And in both of those things, there is a degree of surveillance and means testing that happens sort of like on a recurring basis that feeds that internalized sense of like, 
oh, I'm, I'm, am I doing it wrong? Do I actually deserve this help? Um, but I think that a part of that also in the, the way that we relate to it interpersonally is like a jealousy, right? Where people are legitimately jealous of something that they also deserve. Um, but they either can't access or they don't know how to access it. Um, and you know, I think that's, that's one of the things that I witnessed in some conversations about Serb was essentially yeah. people being like, well, why should, why should they get this? And yeah. it's like, well, but if we just set it up as a thing that everybody gets it and people who have too much on top of that are taxed appropriately or whatever, um, but that like everybody gets it. So we don't have to, uh, we don't have to bicker about like if someone deserves it or not. We just decide that like being a human in this society deserves you security and that's all. Yeah. Um. Yeah, I I get what you're saying. Yeah, if somebody feeling scarcity in their own uh, scene, and then they see others receiving uh, resources that they don't have access to, that's uh, that's not a good vibe. No. And and it feeds into this. Um, yeah, like. I mean, competition is fine in certain contexts, but in a lot of contexts, it's really hostile and, like, not helpful. And I think that, it, yeah, it feeds that that sort of toxic, community-destroying type of competition. Mm-hmm. Um, and it also puts this emphasis on the product like what you are doing Mm -hmm. is it worth something where yeah what you were what you're talking about like a more universal access would just be like a baseline sense of worthiness uh, and deserving without having to put on a little song and dance to prove that that you deserve it yeah yeah particularly um you know i feel like the song and dance that is required to access some of the safety net systems that we have currently um i i have an observation that this what they want in the song and dance is essentially the opposite of what it takes to survive without their help yeah. Um, like, you know, I think about in the case of disability, you know, applications are expected to describe your worst day without help. And th- in reality, we know that, like, okay. as disabled people and people who are facing chronic health conditions, we do have help because we have had to arrange it. <laughs> And that the ways that we course, yeah. the ways that we arrange it aren't necessarily waged or conventional, um, you know, or they're you know sort of like haphazard things that we have thrown together out of you know like oh yes I've made my house more accessible out of things that I found in the trash, and uh, that doesn't mean that that's good enough. Yeah. But also like of course I have done that because I I have had to survive, um, and. So I I think that that's one of the things about means testing that is just like it. It's an incredible mental labor to have to do a song and dance that is essentially like the opposite of the song and dance that survival requires. Um, You know, I I feel like there is it, it calls your mental energy in two separate directions, which especially if a part of your struggle is like, you know, your mental health or your ability to like have executive function that like, it doesn't, it really doesn't help. Yeah. Yeah. Super disorienting. And, um, I think anyone who works in those systems, like social workers, et cetera, will say, Oh, this is just the way it works you have to do this, that, and the other, and they're basically, like, saying you need to, um, 
you know, go against your own sort of gut feeling or what is true to you, like to fill out these things. And that's because that's what it takes. Right? To, yeah. To get the resource. So you do what it takes. But it's uh, it's definitely like like pretty convoluted. Totally. It's like when you're in a job interview and you kind of like, well, this is my experience, like in a job interview and you kind of just leave your body and go into job interview mode and like you don't even talk like that. It's just like a robotic kind of thing. Well, yeah, and it that the expectation of that robotic participation doesn't really lend itself to uh, anything that's very genuine. Yeah. Um, yeah. I wanted to ask you about the idea. So I, I saw a meme a few days ago, and I, I think I reposted it. It was something about, like, you know, if the idea of self-care doesn't work for you, what about, like, routine system maintenance or, like, uh, appropriate uh, husbandry? <laughs> and, like, what if you take it just a different linguistic approach, but, like... That or also yeah. the, the idea of, like, if you don't perform this, like, regular maintenance that has to happen, like, your body system will just make that need to happen. Um, yeah. Yeah. Will you talk a bit about, like, you know, maybe this is something informed by your experience of burnout or, like, what has happened since, but, like, what happens when you don't rest enough? Um, like, what... Yeah. When your when your body's like no stop. <laughs> um, yeah, this is. I think what happens is just like everything starts to fall apart. It just snowballs, and yeah, all of a sudden there's relationship conflict and the house isn't clean and I forget to put oil in the car so the car breaks and so on and so forth I forget an important meeting and it just everything starts to come apart at the seams yeah and then things that we sometimes take for granted like gravity uh, (laughs) (laughs) kind of a jump up and get us yeah it's oh oh yeah like injuries is this where we're going with it yeah um i like i've broken like a million bones and i have like a relationship with sometimes getting like physically harmed or serious illness or um an injury or something uh when i haven't you know, either I haven't had the luxury of taking care of myself or I haven't, um, like, used my time and energy appropriately to take care of myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so that, that happens for sure. <laughs> I, I feel like I observe that pattern as something that is it's quite identifiable within, like, a person's life or like your yeah. own life but i also see it on like a on a larger system level right like i see that being the flooding and like climate collapse that yeah. we're witnessing right where like we could have stopped this if we had paid attention and had like yeah. slowed down and listened um and that like when we don't when we don't pay attention to those signs or take them seriously then, you know, the system will respond in a way that is impossible to ignore. And I think, like, our bodies do that, and the climate is doing that, and, um, yeah, so I, I, I feel like there are just these lessons between what we experience personally in our body and what that means for, like, uh, more, like, system visioning, uh, future-making... Yeah, like the the fraying of the earth body is for sure a sign <laughs> that things are out of balance. Like there being a pandemic 
um, largely caused by globalism and other things that uh, are byproducts of an imbalanced economic system and the fires like I was out of my home for a long time because of the fires this summer and now the floods on the coast it's yeah it's all just like communication getting louder and louder from the earth body that um, we need to start listening yeah well so let's ask let's ask this as a question so within your capacity as a newly hatching somatic therapist um when the earth body comes to you as a client and which is like every client yeah um and is like asking you for the help and support that it needs right now uh what what is your offering of support? What does that look like? Yeah, I think a lot of it is just facilitating um, facilitating whatever healing may need to happen uh, of the disconnect going on between that client and their body and their bodies and the earth. There's a lot of trauma there um, that's that's accumulated over the lifetime, just like living in the society we live in, and just facilitating the the natural uh, reconnection that wants to happen between mind and body and body and earth Mm -hmm. and yeah that's that's usually the the starting point and it it takes slowing down and it takes time right so i i've talked about this a little bit with other folks and i think that you know your your perspective in terms of like your journey and also like what you're coming into um this idea that like it's I think about it kind of like uh, you know when people are in like college or something and they just like go and go and go and then at the end of the semester they become like really fucking sick um, because yeah. their, their body's like I can't anymore I, I made it and then just like collapse yeah. um, that like you know it's, obviously sometimes we don't make it to the end of semester and that's like that's a that's a separate conversation but that like in this imaginary future hopefully nearer than farer um where people have access to a universal basic income and can make the choice to do that slowing down and do that healing and reconnection um i feel like there is going to be a lot of that that needs to happen right because there's so So much of how our current society operates really relies on that all the time on the daily and then also that on that internalized level, which you talked about in terms of like unlearning how to grind oneself. Um, Yeah. So yeah, do you have any thoughts about like how we go about helping our society heal from the sickness that is our current system? Yeah. The, like the orientation that I have is is to do body based practices and um, earth based practices to tune back in, but I also think that everyone has their own like unique way to contribute to the shifts that need to happen. I I think if people were allowed to choose the work they were going to do, that work would just naturally be a part of the healing. Mm-hmm. Um, because we all, it's just an innate part of, of existing in an ecosystem. We all want it to be in balance. So if we weren't being motivated by coercion to work jobs that were harmful to 
our bodies and to the earth. Um, my assumption is that a lot of that energy would be going into repair. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I I think so too. Um, and I that your angle on it does bring up a good point, which is that like a big piece of what is asked of people is to uh, to forego agency and consent. Um, yeah. And that like having the opportunity to live in a world where agency and consent is allowed, encouraged, understood to be a driving factor, so on, um, that that is just going to look different. It's going to have a different yeah. outcome. Um, and I imagine that it it's one of those things where, you know, it kind of has to r- ripple up and down at the same time. If that makes sense, you know, like, yeah. the, the way that we relate to our employers and our housing providers and, uh, you know, our cell phone providers is also going to impact like how we relate to our partners and our children and ourselves. Um, and, and yeah, just a part of imagining that is like, uh, I, when I used to do form theater, we would like, tell people, like, you can't go into the scene and just, like, change who someone is because that's magic and that's not what we're doing here. Um, but in this exercise, I feel like what what I want to do is that magic, right? Of, like, yeah. what if we could change it so that it was actually totally different? Um, yeah. And to be willing to, uh, yeah, to look to, to what feels impossible or to what feels like... Um, yeah out of out of current grasp but that that helps us set goals you know yeah i'm i'm following i feel like kind of half like psychedelic out by this conversation because i'm like (laughs) getting a lot of visuals of like this magic transformation amazing Can you can you uh, auditorily describe your visual? Uh, well, I guess like what I was what I was picturing in this moment was um, people reconnecting with pleasure. Yes. In the most sort of psychedelic, vibrant way that you could imagine that term so not necessarily just erotic pleasure but also erotic pleasure Uh but just the pleasure of like being alive in your body in your life in the world yes and um that's just not a value right now um across the board Mm -hmm. so i was just kind of imagining that becoming a core value and like how that would impact people's outfits and their hair and their bicycles and just it would just kind of shift the focus into this like more like whole body experience and more like aesthetically focused experience yeah um so that makes me think of star trek um (laughs) (laughs) there is an episode of voyager where they land on a planet that is like entirely pleasure focused um but yeah and so initially it's like a a very interesting society and you know i think that's one of the blessings one of the gifts of sci-fi is that it allows us to uh to do this sort of like extraordinary world building and be like oh what would happen what would happen if um and but the of course, the flip side to this, like, pleasure-based society is that um, they're they're not really approaching pleasure from, like, uh, an interconnected, big-picture, uh, 
long-term vision sort of like what's best for the whole kind of pleasure um it it's like they're entirely pleasure oriented but in this way that is very um in oneself in this present moment only um and that kind of ends up being at odds uh with the visiting crew um yeah, so it can go into the excessive or indulgent or hedonistic kind of kind of direction. And I think that that's often the uh, part- particularly like the neoliberal perspective on pleasure wants us to be like, oh yeah, but you could go too far. You could go too far. Um, and I, so I want to just like be able to hold the idea of a pleasure-centered society that is also like concerned about the well-being of the whole for sure yeah and that that takes um an embo- a level of embodiment where you know when you've hit your edge mm-hmm. and you know where when you're impacting others like I don't know. I feel like it's it's like you, like eating candy is good, and then after too much, you feel crappy. Like <laughs> it's about like being able to understand our limitations that way in our own bodies without having to go full Puritan, like chastity belt. <laughs> you know, like unless that's yeah. your pleasure thing, but. Like, do you know what I mean? It's like there is this gray area in between and part of stepping into embodied adulthood is like trusting yourself to, to know where those edges are. Mm-hmm. And I, you know, I think that a part of uh, embodying that in childhood is learning what those edges are through conditions where you trust the adults to be able to catch you so that you can go to the edge and that you know that that's safe um i i think about um many years ago so our mutual friend who has a bunch of children their oldest was at my place when they were 10 and i was having a birthday party and all of the grown-ups were you know drinking or smoking or altering their state in one way or another i think there was lines of mdma happening and um there was also an ice cream sundae making station and the 10 year old was like you know hey i i had this like ice cream i had this like big bowl of ice cream but i think i want more like can i have another bowl and and i was you know i initially sort of was like ah right you know I grew up with a lot of control around food and people telling me what I was supposed to eat and when and then I looked around the room and I looked at like a whole bunch of individuals who were like in their agency and having a great time and I was like why would I why would I tell a kid that they can't also like have their version of that I was like yeah go for it go for it have another bowl of ice cream and they went nuts. They, like, filled it up, and they put all the toppings. There was, like, marshmallows and chocolate chips and sauces, and and they just, like, loaded this bowl up. It was, like, over full. And they had two bites of it, and then they came back over to me, and they were like, I can't. And they just <laughs> gave it to me and went to bed. And they, Aww. like, you know, just went to bed for the night, and that was that. Was that. But... You know, I think about those experiences where, like, you know, you can go to that edge and see, like, how much can I take? Because you you trust the container. Yeah. Uh, so, I feel like we don't have a whole lot of time left here, but I guess one last question in the, like, world that we live in now while we are trying to do this impossible imagining together and work towards making it more possible um 
what are some things that you want to see people do to help make that container feel like something that people can trust so that we can surrender to that magic? Yeah, I mean, it's pretty, I think it would be different for each person, but I, I'm a pretty big fan of like, just like remembering moments that felt the way that you want to feel like more of the time now. Mm. Like, if you can identify a time when you, you were feeling you know, a safe and contained, but also very alive and vibrant amount of pleasure. Like, when was that? And can you bring that alive in your body now? Can you remember what that felt felt like? And just like load, loading up on those felt moments. Mm-hmm. Um, it just trains your neural pathways to receive more of them in your present life. Yeah. So I don't know. Sometimes I do that as I'm falling asleep. I'll just try to remember whatever it is that I'm trying to bring more of into my life. Yeah. Um, it's pretty simple, but it does, it does work over time. Well, and you know, I feel like that is, uh, it's kind of the the nature of a lot of magic, really, is that it is quite simple. Um, yeah, yeah, because there's often the emphasis on what what someone doesn't like, what they don't want to have anymore, how they don't want to feel anymore. So, shifting that into when like when when did you feel the way you wanted to feel? Like what was happening? what made that experience come alive for you? Mm-hmm. Yeah, well, um, one, of the f- one of the sort of like catchphrases that I have picked up in the somatic sex educator training that I think about a lot is um, ABC's uh, awareness brings choice and that like we can't choose pleasure if we're not aware when it's happening. Yes. And we also can't choose to endure things that we're not feeling good about if we're not feeling them. Yeah. Um, and the, yeah, the, so much of being able to have more power to make choice uh, is really actually just about having more awareness of, of what is happening and what, you know, what we feel like, what our bodies are doing, what our um, nervous systems are telling us. Um, you know, observation is overlooked. Yeah, yeah, I love that. Yeah, and like what, like how would we be able to create a new world if we don't know what we want it to feel like? Yeah. Okay, well, what are, what are you going to do today to... Uh, practice feeling the world that you want to be um (laughs) i feel like i've already been doing it a bit but i have like a really um unconventionally for me full day today and so basically with like every little break that i have i've just been lying in my office on the massage table like super snugged up and listening to music that I want to listen to and just like recharging in that way and then moving on to my next responsibility from there yes so that's that's how I've been managing like being scheduled today more than I really want to be Right. Scheduling yourself yeah. some micro rests. Oh, it makes such a difference. Like, I'm like, I'm like, damn, this feels so good. I want to stay here forever. But, like, knowing that I can't almost makes it feel better. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I'm going to do another one of those sessions after we hang up and then 
yeah, move on to some showing up for others. Amazing. Well, thank you for showing up uh, for me and the folks who are going to tune in and listen. And uh, thanks for showing up for yourself. Yay. Thanks for having me on the show. It, uh, it was my pleasure. We'll talk to you soon. Yeah. Um, okay. Bye for now. Okay, bye. want to find more Roniel in the world, you can find her at linktree slash Roniel. That's L-I-N-K-T-R dot E-E slash R-H-O-N-E-I-L. Or on Instagram, you can find her at Roniel underscore V-Zero-G. Uh, and thank you so much for tuning in and listening to this marvelous conversation with Roniel. If you are interested in, uh, you know, keeping up with this show or maybe even being someone who is featured here, please sponsor the show on Patreon, patreon.com slash Corey Doty. That's K-O-R-I-D-O-T-Y. Or follow all of my work on my website, CoreyDoty.com. And you can always send me an email as well. I am stoked to connect with more people who want to have these conversations. Uh, my email address is CoreyDoty at gmail.com. Uh, hope you all have a really lovely day and do something nice. Take good care of yourselves. Bye.